In a world with too much pop culture to consume, one woman and one man will argue about it until they get bored. It's an epic battle between obsession and indifference, and the winner will determine, well, very little actually, Emily Jones and Eric Johnson star in Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob. Whoever wins, we're still losers. Welcome to Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob, the podcast where we argue about something one of us is totally obsessed with. And the other has never even seen. I'm Emily Jones. And I'm Eric Johnson. If this is your first time listening, you can find more Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob at gvnpodcast.com. And you can also find all of our past episodes on Apple Podcasts and Google Play Music. So, Emily, it's time for part two of our Christmas special. Which is about movies set at Christmas that are not really Christmas movies at all. Today we're watching The Thin Man, the 1934 movie based on the Dashiell Hammett novel of the same name. It stars William Powell and Myrna Loy as Nick and Nora Charles, a former detective and his wealthy wife who end up roped into a mystery more or less by accident. It was so popular that it spawned a bunch of sequels, but I actually have seen it. I, it's, it, oh, I, that's I right. I have seen it, uh, but it was a very long time ago. Right, so you don't uh, remember it or delight in it as you appropriately should. Yeah, I was a kid, and I, you know, I feel like I was not maybe paying the fullest of attention as I, as I would now as an adult, which I realize is heresy for a uh, detective story. <laughs> well, but, nor uh, would you, nor would you have appreciated a lot of what's going on with that <laughs> as a child. We'll see. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I guess where where should I watch this movie? Where should I go? Um, you can rent it from all the usual places where we where we rent things. You know, it's on Amazon and iTunes and Vudu and and all those places. Um, and it's also, I mean, like TCM loves these movies, so you can also just like check your TCM listings. They'll probably do like a Thin Man marathon at some point in the foreseeable future. So. If you want to and just... maybe if this is sort of Christmassy, I guess we'll maybe maybe it's more likely to find it around now. Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe. Although there's enough weird classic Christmas movies that they love to play, like they're really big <laughs> on like it happened on Fifth Avenue and like random shit like that. That like I don't think they would play this during a Christmas, but like it would. Be, it's very much like TCM to just decide they're going to play like all of the Thin Man movies or three of the however many there are or whatever, <laughs> just like because they do that sometimes. So, uh, you know. You never know. This might be on at 3 a.m. on your local your local Turner Classic Movies is all I'm saying. All right. Well, I will find some way to watch <laughs> it, and then we will be back after this break to spoil everything. we're back we just watched the thin man and before we got to before we get to what i thought of this movie emily why do you love it so much oh i just uh this is one of those movies like i want to live in kind of like i as as uh detrimental as it would be to one's liver like i just want to be friends with them like i want to hang out with them like that's that's the christmas party that i want to go to you know like i i 
Nick and Nora are just like so delightful. They're just like they're they're very much like to to be a millennial. They're very like hashtag couple goals and like I <laughs> I just like and their dog is adorable and they just like wear you know she wears these like fabulous glamorous dresses and they throw these like the, I like I I'm serious when I say I want to be at that Christmas Eve party. Like it's so much fun. They're clearly like great entertainers. The drinks are flowing. Like the people are shit faced and singing off key Christmas carols. I love you because you know such lovely people. Again, wearing like that fabulous stripy evening gown that she's got on. And like they're just there's just like a combination of like festive fun and drunkenness and and like madcap hijinks and like having to hide, you know, people involved in a missing person slash murder case from each other and the cops and uh and the you know reporters that have crashed the party and the just just the whole thing is just like it's just delightful and then like the christmas morning she's in her fur coat and he's like got a toy gun he's shooting at the christmas that, tree yeah. it's like i i just want to be with like i want to hang out with these people <laughs> like i i want them to be my friends and like obviously nick charles makes a great martini like i i just want to be friends with them at first, I wasn't sure how Christmassy this movie was going to be, but that whole scene at the party, and then the next morning with with the presents and with with his his gun, that, that was so great. I know it's um, so like charming, right? Yeah, I, I I mean, yeah, the the, the delight so of the, the murder, party scene. Like... Right, you know, it's just it's a, it's a brief detour from from the murder and the high society, you know, drama. But um, but but no, I mean, um. I totally agree with everything you just said. I would also love to live in this world with the caveat that I would prefer not to be murdered and buried underneath. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing. That's why uh, you. That's why you're you just you're friends with Nick and Nora. You don't get involved in in right nonsense. Although the guy who was killed was friends with with Nick, wasn't I'm, he? Kind of, yeah. I yeah. yeah so... I mean, it's kind of like being friends with. <laughs> it's kind of like being friends with like with Poirot or friends with. Um, Angela Lansbury's character in Murder, she wrote. It's like, it's like they're people you don't want to associate with because somebody always dies whenever they go to a house party. <laughs> I will say, though, uh, even if I'm not friends with them, I would happily dog sit Asta. Oh, my God. Uh, Isn't Asta the, the best? Asta, maybe. I, I realize this, this may sound stupid because, I mean, ultimately, you know, it's animal actors all throughout. Asta might be the best like actor dog I've ever seen in a movie. I know. Like Asta literally stole scenes from talented actors in this movie in a way that movie dogs. The only other, the only other dog that comes to mind is uh, the dog Frasier's dog uh, from Frasier, mm-hmm. uh, whose name I'm blanking on. It's been a while since I've seen that show. Uh, but he, I've who never actually also, watched Frasier. I was surprised when when I watched I watched like a couple seasons worth, and I was surprised at how much I really enjoyed it. Anyway, uh, Asta is like Fraser's dog is fantastic. I love Asta <laughs> so much. From uh, like, first of all, can I just say I love the way all three of the characters are introduced. Like, first of all, yes. the way that you kind of make your way to Nick through this crowd, and he's doing like a master class on cocktail making with the bartenders. The important thing is the rhythm. Always have rhythm in your shaking. On uh, Manhattan, you shake to foxtrot time. A Bronx, to uh, two-step time. The dry martini, you always shake to waltz time. 
Now, I'll quibble with him that you really shouldn't shake a Manhattan or, or basically any whiskey drink. But still, though, like, <laughs> it's just a delightful, perfect introduction to his character. Um, I wrote down Manhattan equals Foxtrot time. Dry Martini <laughs> equals Waltz time. It's perfect. So I'll file that away for the future. And like, and the way Asta is introduced by like dragging her across the lobby, and the way she comes in and just immediately, I face plants, and then finds out how many martinis he's had, and immediately orders that many <laughs> martinis. Say, how many drinks have you had? This will make six martinis. All right. Will you bring me five more martinis? Leo, line them right up here. Yes, ma'am. It's like yeah. I will have five martinis. Yeah. I well, and and then like I don't know. Part of the reason that it's a perfect introduction for them is it gets to it gets to why part of why I love them so much. Like not just because they seem like fun people to hang around, but like I really love their dynamic as a couple. You know, they don't they as much as even though he does some shitty old guy movie things, like when he puts her in the cab to to get rid to ditch her when she wants to participate in the murder investigation and he won't let her. Um, you know, yes, he does that, but it's, it's, uh, overall their dynamic is not the same as, as it usually is, um, in Mm -hmm. kind of just movies of this era in general, where like, he's very much in charge and, and she's like kind of dumb and superfluous and whatever, like, you know, they, they clearly love each other. They have this like great, this great back and forth. You can tell she's got his number. You can tell he really loves her. Like, they 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 really know each other really well and like they they have this very like fun playful dynamic that has like a lot of affection underneath it and like then that so that's the thing is it's like so they show up at the bar and here he is like three quarters in the bag with this like <laughs> young thing hanging on him and you know and she, she's been out like doing her christmas shopping and it's like this could be like a really stereotypical like drunken loud of a husband beleaguered wife kind of dynamic but instead she sits down and she's like i would like five more martinis and it's like oh so she can hang she's all, like this is this is like a great ah it's just a the, great this dynamic this movie is basically if you've considered uh in your future career you decided you want to become an alcoholic this movie is a great advertisement for that profession <laughs> Uh, they, they they seem like so much fun, <laughs> and they do. probably have very serious problems. He, but he if they were real people, <laughs> he definitely. Um, has I will say problem. one one quick tangent about the uh, the him putting her in a cab scene. Uh, have you seen You Bet Your Life? I don't believe so. It's a TV quiz show starring Groucho Marx uh, from the fifties. And um, in the scene where he, he's putting her in the cab, he tells the cabbie to go to Grant's tomb, which uh, is a very famous part of You Bet Your Life. Um, I guess the, the joke there is that they're downtown. He's telling telling the cab to take her all the way like uptown. Like it's it's really far away. Just to kind of get get her out of his hair. Yeah, I think that's the idea. Uh, on You Bet Your Life, it's a quiz show. And whenever the contestant would not be doing well and Grutter just wanted to give them some money, he would say, OK, here's your final question. Who is buried in Grant's tomb? <laughs> that that would always be his his question. Nice. So anyway, as soon as as soon as he said that, I was like, "Oh, I guess that's an actual place in New York." <laughs> I had I like I had to look it up and, and be like, "Okay, this, now I know where Grant's tomb is." <laughs> Good to know. In addition to who's buried there. Um, yes. Well, but all and like also about that that little moment though, like as as much as that's an annoying kind of frustrating moment, like. Mm-hmm. 
she ultimately ends up like even though he doesn't want her involved she ends up uncovering like a key tidbit of information about the the new yeah. husband having tried to skip town or whatever and like spoiler for all of the rest of the thin man movies like that's kind of always happens like she's yeah. really eager and he doesn't want her to participate but she ends up like going off on her own whether she takes Asta with her or she does something she does some little bit of investigating on her you know takes her own initiative and she usually ends up uncovering some kind of crucial detail that's like key to to solving the case yeah i mean i feel like with these characters i'm fine with that being a formula like I, oh I yeah feel they're like... so formulaic and like who like the rest of the movies are so formulaic like to this formula but it's a great formula <laughs> yeah I, so as you can tell i i really enjoyed this movie i think this is one of those movies that's pretty much impossible to dislike i mean the the characters are so charming right it's um... so much fun <laughs> So, and they're all uh, they're all so much fun. Even though I think, um, if I if I recall correctly, I think like they're, I don't know, the others are maybe not quite as good as this one because like this. So I was actually just looking, and Dashiell Hammett did actually do the story for the rest of them, which I didn't realize. Um, uh-huh. But this is the one that's actually like based on the novel that he wrote, and I think he just like, like the later ones were were because the movie was so successful. Right. He wrote more movies. Right. He wrote more movies. He didn't write the screenplays, but he did do the he you know he has ca- credits for the characters and the stories. But like there aren't like books. There aren't like a, there isn't like a series of books called this. It's just the one. So like I do think this one is like kind of maybe a little bit better plotted and like works better than mm-hmm. the other ones do. Um, <laughs> But no, speaking of the movie as a whole as well, sorry, I'm like not really letting you talk about it. I guess I should let you No, that. no, no, go for it, go for it. Well, I was going to say, beyond beyond just like Nick and Nora as people, the other thing I, re- this has to do with them, but like the other thing I really love about this is the way that it kind of, um, it it really kind of marries like, like a, like a noiry detective novel or detective film, you know, like a Maltese Falcon or a, or a Big mm-hmm. Sleep, kind of that more... Star- I mean, well, to, to think about the Maltese Falcon because that's another you know film adap- film adaptation of a Hammett book. Um, yeah, you know it, it really kind of marries that kind of like mystery, like the body. So many, so many bodies pile up in these things. Like there's always like yeah. five people that get killed. Um, you know, very much like that kind of story, but also with the like levity of like of like a kind of screwball comedy. You know, and like I, yeah, I actually I love like a Marx Brothers film. Well, actually, now that yeah, I think of it. yeah, totally like a Marx Brothers, like the like totally this era of comedy, like a Marx Brothers film or like a or like a, you know, uh, like like bringing up baby or any kind of like yeah, screwball yeah. old Cary Grant kind of, you know, Catherine Hepburn kind of madcap nonsense kind of comedy and it's like the the two work surprisingly well together this is like a screwball comedy where a bunch of people die as opposed to like a you know dark and intense film noir and like i just really like the 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 line that that walks it's great so when we were conceptualizing this like week in a bonus episodes we were thinking the theme was just fake christmas or like not quite christmas <laughs> at christmas but, really... but like not really christmasy <laughs> Right, right. But we also kind of accidentally walked into two movies that are the fusion of two disparate genres. That's we have horror true. comedy and noir comedy, which I totally like did not put together until you were just saying oh. that. Like I, maybe this Good speaks job, to us. who we are as geeks. The fact, <laughs> the fact that we are like, you know, we are we are tired of your, you know, single genre films. We must have two or more, please, in all of our works. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know though, because like so there are definitely a lot of a lot of kind of genre fusion movies that are not necessarily that are not set at Christmas, but yeah. like, but I do think that that 
um, I don't know. I think there's something Christmassy about that, though. Like, you're not... Spoilers for Gremlins real quick. Uh, if you're, you know, Phoebe Cates' character in Gremlins and, uh, you know, you have this, like, horrific tragedy in your life happen at Christmas time, um, then maybe you would be really down with, like, sitting and doing, like, a horror movie marathon at Christmas. But most of us, like... We want our hearts at least a little bit warmed watching a Christmas movie. <laughs> so, like, you're not going to sit down and watch, like, a straight horror monster movie at Christmas. Or you're not going to sit down and watch, like, you know, an intense film noir with a bunch of murders. You know, like, I, right. being a weirdo, might watch uh, The Maltese Falcon around Christmas time because just because I love that movie so much and like it gives me warm mm-hmm. fuzzies just because I like the movie so much. But, like, if you were doing, like, a genre night, like, you wouldn't be like, I think we should watch murder mysteries that are really, really dark in tone. It's like, no, you want like some levity in your Christmas. You need some like some holiday spirit. I, I really feel like, I mean, I think a bunch of them are movies that we have both seen, so therefore they wouldn't really work for for this podcast. But there's, as I'm thinking about it, there's like so many movies that are exactly what you're describing, where it's like, I want to watch a genre movie, but I also want some levity, so therefore, shortcut Christmas. So like, I'm thinking of, um, I think Lethal Weapon, the first one is, is set uh, at Christmas, kind of a similar mm, thing. Maybe. Um, well, I, I've actually never seen Die Hard, but I know that that one is, everyone says that, that that's, you know, a Christmas movie. Well, and I actually think there is a stronger movie for Die Hard as a Christmas movie, as opposed to these that are, like, just kind of set at Christmas, but are, like, not really mm-hmm. Christmas movies. I think the reason people make that argument is because his whole motivation throughout the movie is he's trying to get home to his family for Christmas. Right. So um, it's, like, definite, it's like planes, like, it's like planes fly, trains, yeah. and automobiles, but with like with with like terrorists instead of like <laughs> transportation snafus, basically. <laughs> Wait, it replaced John Candy with with, with Alan Rickman. <laughs> exactly. <yeah>. Oh my god. <laughs> the same same role. That's that's the new fan theories. It's actually that planes, trains, and automobiles and Die Hard are the same movie. Even though I've never seen Die Hard, I'm just gonna go with that. <laughs> I mean, not quite, because I don't think that Steve Martin is like estranged from his family. Okay, but 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 no, but like that's why that's why people argue that it's a Christmas movie as opposed to just a movie happening at Christmas. See, I'm struggling to think of examples of that, but that mo- might be because most Christmas movies that I watch tend to just be like Christmas movies, mm-hmm, including mm-hmm. like some some like aggressively like so bad they're good like Hallmark kind of Christmas movies, <laughs> which are so fun. We could do like a whole thing on those sometime. I, I, that's okay. I'm good. <laughs> back, back to the Thin Man. Um, <laughs> Wait, were we talk talking about something movie. in particular? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I will say that the the Christmassiness, which is definitely not a word, but I'm going to go with it. The Christmassiness of this movie, um, it is an interesting pairing with the dinner scene towards the end, where, like, in a very blunt and grisly way, he breaks the news to the the murdered man's daughter that her father's yeah. been killed. Like, on the one hand, as I mentioned, I do like the fact that this movie, you know, can have fun with these characters, but that that scene really makes it sink in, like, oh, right, shit, this is, like, a murder. Like, yeah, it, it's it, Christmas, it really... It's Christmas or the day after Christmas. Her dad has been missing for months, and now he's now he well she didn't know he was missing but now he's confirmed dead and also she's getting married in like three days just <laughs> reminder and also and also the murderer is sitting across from her at the table you know <laughs> it was brought together as a social experiment like 
the, that that whole scene kind of brings you right back down to earth after after a lot of really fun Christmas antics. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird. It's you know, and it's like maybe the maybe the fusion of genres works better at some moments than others. Like <laughs> I would say that. Like yeah. it's really really fun when they're at the Christmas Eve party and mm-hmm. the the like running people from room to room that normally would be because like you know somebody's ex wife is walks in when they're there with their new girlfriend or blah blah like you know it would normally be like like romantic comedy screwball nonsense happening but right. instead it's just that like these different players in this murder plot can't run into each other whoop to do like that's really that <laughs> it works really well right there but like yeah maybe it maybe it doesn't 100% work as well when it's like we're going to have christmas dinner and you're getting married in 2 days but also your dad just died <laughs> <laughs> yeah not great side note mm. sidebar yeah <laughs> i do think it's funny the way that he kind of forces this like this like very kind of agatha christie like scenario onto the end of the movie where he's like i'm gonna bring yeah. everybody together to figure out who the murderer is because this is murder on the orient express but in my apartment Although isn't normally in like agatha christie stories isn't it like the group is together and the detective actually knows like what the who who done it like I, th- I feel like in this one well yeah it felt like a little bit of a subversion of that because like nora whispers is this true i don't know well, then why are you saying it the only way it makes sense. I mean, yes, it's it is different because yes, Poirot pretty much usually knows who the killer is, and and also those things usually tend to happen like where they're already all stuck in one place, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to like importing them all the way that that they do in this. So yes, you're right, it is it is different in that sense. But I still love that like that's his method. He's like, you know, I have a lot of pieces, so I'm just gonna like throw these people together and see what happens. <laughs> Although that is kind of similar. That is kind of similar to what happens um, at the end of the Maltese Falcon, as they're all yeah, they're all like yeah. stuck in Sam Spade's apartment waiting for the Falcon to show up. So sorry, uh, I guess that was spoilers for the Maltese Falcon. Um, <laughs> I assume that most people have seen that. I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, I saw it. You know, I've seen it twice, but over a long period of time. It's also the book is the book is on our list for this podcast too. I'm looking forward to that. It's yeah, going to be great. I've, uh, never, never read any Dashiell Hammett. Um, actually, that, that's a question I had for you. So, is the uh, have you read the book? Of I the have Thin read Man, the, the book. Original? Yes. Actually, I think this yeah. was the first time that I've watched it since reading the book. Possibly. So, my question is like, are the are the are the characters quite as screwball in the book? Like, because I, I I felt like there was some stuff that like really felt made for the movie. So, like for instance, when Nora is reacting to a line and she just squints her face up into that like that, I love that pouty that face. Yeah, it, I mean, like I can't imagine that being quite as funny and in, in words like that just felt like felt such a perfect visual you know yeah i think the um so it's it's been it's been quite a while since i read the book now i mean not that long but like it's been right. um it's been several months but so yeah no the book is the book is definitely different in in a couple of ways i do think they lightened it up a lot for the movie and there's also a lot of of kind of chemistry between the two actors they acted together a lot like not yeah. in these in these like five or six thin man movies but also in a in like a bunch of other stuff too so like these actors work well, together at the time they're probably like belong to the same studio mm-hmm. or just being forced to work together well and, but like, they all, all i mean the like they movies, also right? keep pairs together that work you know i mean like yeah. they they yeah. keep these two together and fred and ginger work together so they work together mm-hmm. a lot and you know uh judy garland and mickey rooney like it, it has to do with being in the same studio but it's also like when they find a pair that works they used to stick with them a lot um but no, they, uh, so, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with the chemistry of the actors, but also like, yeah, I think they, I think they lighten it up a fair amount for the movie. If I, if I recall correctly, first of all, the, the novel is, um, 
is told from his perspective. Mm. Um, so, so there's, I don't know, that kind of changes the dynamics a little bit. And it's also like, it definitely, it still doesn't feel as like serious and noir and dark as, as like the, the Maltese Falcon novel right. or movie does. Um, but it definitely feels more like a, more like, you know, detective fiction in that mold kind of than, uh, than this movie's kind of lightheartedness, I think. Um, yeah. Because, like, there, there's, I mean, there, I, there's some great, like, just straight up gags in this one. Like, you mentioned already the Christmas scene with, like, the people shuffling around rooms. Um, the guy drunkenly the trying to call his mom. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, the, uh, the, the, the weird, the weird son saying that, oh, well, you know, according to this new research that's been done with breeding <laughs> peas, you know. And according to their findings, and they've been pretty conclusive, only one out of four of your children will be a murderer. Now, the thing for you to do would be just to have three children. No. No, that might not work. The first one might be the bad one. I'll have to look that up. I know you haven't, I know you haven't seen Mindhunter yet, but you should definitely, like, when you watch that show, which you totally should, like you should keep him in mind because like he belongs in Mindhunter as a serial killer. Yeah. Not necessarily as a serial killer, and more just that like, I, like people are get weirded out by their like fascination and expertise and like the way that murderers' minds work in that show. Um, yeah, at one point I, I wrote it down because at one point he's like talking to the police and he says, "Oh, I've been studying psychopathic criminology." <laughs> yeah, well, and he's also like, I love the way that he like makes the officer like really uncomfortable by like sitting close to him and staring at him. He's very funny. But no, yeah. um, to to what you were asking about the book though, I mean, like all of that stuff happens in the book, if I recall correctly, like that and maybe even more crazy machinations with people near misses mm. with people and stuff, and they totally have it like party, like all of that stuff happens. But the tone of it feels a little different um, because it's very much just like other Hammett and Raymond Chandler and any number of other things. You know, it's first person written from the perspective of this detective who like drinks a fuck ton. And, you know, (laughs) uh, so it it feels a little more like reading a story in that in that vein than it does like watching this movie. I kind of I yeah. Um, I will say, though, that reminds me of another thing that I appreciate about this movie, which is that, like, all of these detectives, like, drink an insane amount, right? Whether you're talking about yeah. about Nick Charles or Sam Spade or uh, or Philip Marlowe or, like, any detective in these things. They drink a lot. And in the books, like, oh, my God, they drink. <laughs> they drink so much. Like, you can't even, like, it's it's inconceivable the amount that they drink. And they're just very matter-of-fact about it. They're like, I swung by and I got a bottle of rye and I downed that while I did this. and burp, 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 burp. Um, <laughs> But, like, I, one thing that I really appreciate about this, and part of it, I think, is the comedic aspect. But, like, uh, William Powell, like, actually acts drunk, <laughs> you know? And it's, like, yeah. it's like comedic, yeah. comedic, and, and often, like, it's not, like, super, like, that kind of annoying thing people do on stage where they, like, dramatically stumble in a way that no right. one has ever actually done when they're drunk. Um, no, he, he just he seems a little bit off Yeah, he just, bit, yeah. he leans a little bit too close to someone, right. and he's, like, not <laughs> quite on balance, and, you know, like... And, and for, for the audio listeners, which is everyone except for me, Emily just leaned in a little bit closer to her webcam to illustrate <laughs> what leaning a little bit too close means. <laughs> and like, um, you know, and I just, I just kind of appreciate that because, like, except in the cases when like somebody slips them a Mickey or like they end up in like a fight and get socked in the jaw, like I don't know, Humphrey Bogart doesn't usually actually act drunk, no matter how mm-hmm. much his characters drink. Again, unless he like gets in a fucking bar fight or something, like. Right. 
Like, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't like sway a little bit on his feet usually unless his drink is drugged. And like, so I appreciate that. It's like, you know what? He's had seven martinis and he is standing unevenly. Like, (laughs) yeah. Also, I love the way they telegraph hangovers in this. Oh, right. Yeah. Like when she, she, she wakes up and it's like, what hit me? The last martini. How about a little pick me up? No. I can't lie here. I've got to get up and trim that darn Christmas tree. What's the idea of pushing me? And it's like, he's across the room. He didn't push you. Yeah, like. yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, I guess we should probably talk about the uh, the Wynand family, because they're actually a big part of the, the, the oh, movie. Oh, you mean here. the actual it's... mystery? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I, fe- I feel like... Um, this movie could have been totally carried by just Nick and Nora. Like they're oh, yeah. such fun characters that the, every scene could have been from their point of view, and it still the story still would have worked. It sounds like the book is from Nick's point of view, and it sounds like that that works like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did really appreciate the uh, the character work, even though they were less funny. Well, Gilbert was really funny, but like even though the characters were were were, were less crazy than Nick and Nora. Um, I, I really, I really liked even the scenes without without the detectives, oh, yeah. like where where it was just the family, you know, and their whole all of their drama, you know, with the different the different children and the stepchildren and and all this stuff. Oh yeah, um, like that that ex wife who's the mother of the yeah. the children, like she's so great. Her like her sort of like wild desperation mm-hmm. vibe that she has going on, like I like she'll she'll do, you can tell like right from the first time you see her that like she will do anything. Yeah. To you know to to support her goals like she which is mostly money but like she'll she'll do whatever like whatever it takes she's... In- including at the dinner like bald-facedly lying you know about <laughs> about yep. everything i think yeah i think the fact that it that uh, it was macaulay in the end was one of the things i did remember because like when we got to the, early on in the scene where like uh dorothy is like getting the cab and she's taking the cab from macaulay i had a vague flash of like oh i think he's important i i i, I re- retained some sense of like, oh, that character matters more than, for example, Tanner, the, the guy who works upstairs. I, like, I, I knew there was something about him. Could not have told you that he was the murderer. <laughs> this is one where I definitely never retain who who actually did it because it's one of those things where it's like the murder, similar to the big sleep. It's like the actual culprit is not really the point. Yeah, all that the, <laughs> just like the the process and the antics are really kind of the point. Yeah. But yeah, no. Well, and even like the people that don't get that much time on screen, like I love the um the little like the the small town crook guy who's like your small time crook who's like I comes to you on a level. Studsy says you're on a level. Why don't you be on a level? I am on a level. If I knew anything, I'd be. What's that? Like I love him. He's like such a like. He doesn't even know anything. He like knows nothing about any of this. <laughs> um, but he, and or like the the girlfriend of the the second guy who gets killed. Uh, who's just like she's just like always ready for a fight all the time. She's like, she's right, like I don't know right, anything yeah. about this, like <laughs> for no reason. Like she's just, you know, kind of. She's she's like the the upon, New Yorker stereotype yeah, of, of just like put, you know, put upon the, scrappy woman. Right, right. Oh, one other thing that I wrote down here. There's like the I, I, there's a couple scenes that are in the alleyway, like outside uh, uh Winans like laboratory where he has mm-hmm. his inventions and where he wants being buried. Um. The second scene, I guess, where Nick is going to investigate with Asta, where, where mm. they're going, they're about to discover the body. I had to pause the movie because I was like, I know that alleyway. <laughs> I was like, f- consumed by like, where is that alleyway from? 
And after a couple minutes, I realized, oh, this is from the Twilight Zone. They've used this alleyway in a bunch of episodes of the Twilight Zone. And I looked it up, and both the Twilight Zone and this movie were shot at MGM Studios. It's it's hmm. the exact same alleyway. Interesting. And so, Which, like, I uh, have this movie to was say... slightly longer for me because I had to had to stop it to <laughs> to to make this connection. Where I was like, I'm not going to be able to keep on going until I know where, where, where this alleyway is from. <laughs> I have to say, like, really not a great alleyway to set up your like factory workshop thing on, and also not a great factory workshop. Like, what a you're like, what a yeah. creepy place. Like, like, why would you? Why would you situate yourself in such a creepy place and set up your workshop in such a creepy way? Like, it's so obviously like a murder site. Like, <laughs> but also you should always take your fox terrier with you when you're just like poking around because absolutely they can find well, bodies. I mean, the dog needs exercise and sometimes it can also help solve murders. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a win win for everybody. Well, and I will say it's funny you mentioned that you remember like the one thing you remembered was the lawyer was important. Like I can yeah. never retain like what happens, who even gets murdered, who the murderer <laughs> is. Like I can never, I never fully like I couldn't relate. Now obviously I could because I just watched it. But like, right. but like if you if you asked me three weeks from now, like I probably wouldn't be able to tell you the specific plot of this movie. The one thing I definitely <laughs> always remember though is that the body is the guy is the father. And right. the clothes are a red herring. And, like, that's the one thing I remember is it's, like, it's a fat man's suit, but the guy was thin. And we know right. it because of the shrapnel in the leg. I don't know why that I remember, but that I remember. <laughs> yeah, and I, one of the things I knew about this movie series, even though I've only now seen this movie twice and none of the others in the series, is that they changed the meaning of the thin man, right, to become Nick instead of Yeah, Wyman. I think, like, public perception in, like, a Frankenstein's monster kind of way did that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Because, um, yeah, the Thin like, All the other movies are, like, the Thin Man something or other, right? They're, they all have the Thin Man in the title. Right. And it's... And, yeah, the Thin Man... The Thin Man totally refers to Winans because, like, that's basically the only description they have for him. So, like, a Thin Man right. tries to commit sui- suicide in, uh, in... Somewhere in Pennsylvania. And, you know, the police go running after it. And, like, the body can't be him because it's the suit of a fat man and, like, that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. But it's Got not... It. It's also, like, I was struck this time watching it, even though I remember the shrapnel in the leg is, like, an essential thing. Mm-hmm. Like, that, the the era specificity of that struck me so much the this time. The war. He yeah. He the shrapnel in the war. Well, not even that. Not just the fact that it was just the one war at the time, but, like, um, more the fact that, like, in, in a, a crime story of today, like, the shrapnel would be a major piece of evidence. I mean, and it is. Obviously, it's right. key to Nick identifying it specifically as that guy. But the way the medical examiner just kind of shrugs it off. Oh, just an old piece of shrapnel. Shrapnel, huh? Mm. Oh, maybe he was in the war. That would account for his cane and his limp. Like, that wouldn't happen in a story today. Like, they would have, they would be like, oh, yeah, shrapnel is like, he must be a veteran. And then they'd be, like, searching military records or whatever. Like... Right. Um, but it's like the, the, just it's the, so the normal, yeah. The that... the normalcy and just like ubiquitousness of ubiquity, ubiquitousness. I, I was I gonna say no, ubiquity. Ubiquity. It's ubiquity. I always forget that there's a word called ubiquity. Anyway, no, but just just the how super commonplace it is that like oh some dude of about like some dude's got shrapnel in his leg. Like oh okay, so does yeah, everybody. Keep on going. Like keep on looking. Yeah, <laughs> like that's just just one of those one of those era things that is just interesting. Yeah. I'm looking back at my notes. The only other like thing of note that I, that I wrote down, this is also borderline. Um, 
but uh, the, the very end where they are uh, distracting Dorothy and her husband <laughs> from getting it on, um, where Nick and Nora retire to, retire to their, their cabin in the train. Um, like, the very last shot is the train going away, and, like, maybe it's just the screen I was watching it on, but it was very obvious to me that they had assigned some poor schmo to draw with black ink on the frames of the movie to indicate that the lights were turned off. Like, like with the, the last shot where the train is going away into the distance, the lights that are supposed to be Nick and Nora's lights are on, and then the last few, like, seconds, it's all, like, covered over in black ink that clearly does not match the grain of the film. It, huh. <laughs> it, it was, you must have a yeah. much higher definition TV than me. Um, I was watching on my computer monitor, which is not super high def, but like maybe just like the the brightness. Of yeah, it or the something. brightness probably because I was watching it on my like my TV across the room with the lights on, so I didn't notice that. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, no, I. It's funny. I was actually also going to mention the final scene on the train for two reasons. One being, yeah. um, one being the uh, just like old school trains are like so opulent and lovely. Like <laughs> they're just great. And the second being that. Um, I don't know. I was, I was just, I'm just like always struck in this movie by just kind of the level of innuendo kind of always. But, Mm -hmm. uh, but like, I don't know. People make so much of that. The final shot in, uh, in North by Northwest where like he's in the train, he's Mm -hmm. in the train compartment with Eva Marie Saint. And then like the last shot is the train going into the tunnel and it's like, ha ha. (laughs) Um, and I was just kind of like, you know, like it's, it's not quite as literal, but like, the way that the last two shots of this movie are Asta, wonderful dog actor, <laughs> putting his paw, <laughs> covering, his covering his eyes, <laughs> and then it cuts away and the lights are off. Like, they, you yeah. switch off the lights in, in the train compartment. And I was just like, you know what? Like, that's... For the, for the mid-30s, that's pretty that's risque. A solid yeah. level of, that's a solid level of innuendo. Good on you, folks. And, and uh, also... Uh, sexagenarian we can't put that in the paper <laughs> he <laughs> you know <admitted> it. sex <laughs> he admitted it did he which is also uh, like this is this is not really um this is not really relevant to the movie itself so much as like a, just another like era difference thing that strikes me is um the stereotypes of who's in the media because uh, like yeah, those are yeah. those are newspaper reporters and they're like they're like you know like these you know intense you know vultures after this story and they like hear the hear the word sex as part of the word sexagenarian and they're like whoa and they assume it's a scandalous sex thing and they don't know that the word sexagenarian (laughs) means 60 year old person um and it's like it's just funny to me because now the 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 assumption is that like the people in the media are are like highly educated and we both are like highly educated you know elite people who are like out of touch with like average people and that's very much like the opposite of the dynamic in this movie where this like argue arguably overeducated and doesn't actually know anything about the world kid (laughs) is like using these fancy vocabulary words that they like you know more the police and the media yeah don't really don't really know I mean, I, I kind of feel like that's, you know, oh, it's not, it's journalism accurate. has totally gotten way more professionalized. I mean, it is true that, you know, journalists today, I'm sure, are way more, you know, professionalized and educated than they would be back then. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, it, it, you know, jobs jobs in, in the media now, you very yeah. often call for call for at least a bachelor's degree. And, like, a lot of job descriptions will say still say, like, 
you know, bachelor's degree or work equivalent, but it's like you, there's no way that you could really get the equivalent work experience right. at the, in this day and age. Whereas at the time in the 30s, yeah, you totally would have gotten the equivalent work experience by starting out as like a copy boy in a newspaper office and working in the mail room, mail room and, whatever, and working yeah. and working your way up and eventually becoming a reporter. Like it, it's yeah, it's it's it's. I mean, I'm talking about perception and stereotype, but it's also 100 percent true that like yeah, at it at that era you were a lot. In that era, you were a lot more likely to have have you know a, a less educated newspaper reporter probably than you would run into now for sure. Definitely, definitely. Anyway, just like you were more likely to run into a dude with shrapnel in his leg. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't say that with that tone of voice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, just just in terms of demographic facts, like a a much larger portion of the population served in that war than in our more recent wars for sure. Right. Anyway. Um, um, I don't have anything else on my that notes. fun note. Yeah. <laughs> oh wait, you had me rate the Christmasiness of Gremlins. So how would you rate? Oh this, yeah. How would you rate this Christmas wise on a on a scale of one to five, where one is like not remotely Christmas, and five is like like literally a Christmas movie meant to be played uh, like at Christmas. Five is like a Christmas a, story. I would say a solid three. Solid three. Because because m- the. Majority of the plot is not Christmas related at all. It's like after Christmas. It's several months later. But there's such a fantastic. Huh? No, the most of the plot happens in the day or two after Christmas. The first thing that happens is several months before. I thought he leaves. Um, he leaves on his little mystery work trip and says he'll be back. Uh, he'll be back like around Christ- Christmas. by Christmas. And she says, "Oh well, we're getting married on December thirty first on New Year's right. Eve." So, so everything that happens, like after after that whole thing, and he goes away, and all of that, then like when she's, it's almost Christmas Eve, and she's dancing with her fiance, and says her dad's right, not- and then he says he's not back yet, right? But that's Christmas, the, right? But then I thought the actual like discovery of the body was several months after Mm-mm. Christmas Eve. Like I thought it was several months into the new year by that point. Mm-mm. No, no, I'm pretty sure. It's, right. I'm pretty sure it's just like the days after. Okay. Uh, well, in that case, maybe, maybe a three point five. Because Nick, Nick and Nora are only in town for Christmas too. Okay, I don't know. It, it feels like the movie stops being the Christmas yeah, movie after a certain point. There's basically two Christmas points. scenes in it, so it feels like there's a passage of time. Maybe <laughs> there isn't, I guess. Um, but I was gonna say, like that Christmas party scene, the Christmas Eve party, is so fantastic <laughs> that it, it gets an extra point just just for that. Just, just for it being gets, it gets, as festive as it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean there's basically only there's basically just like her Christmas shopping and then the party and then it's Christmas morning and he's like right. shooting at the Christmas tree and stuff. Like that's basically all the Christmas that is in the movie. But all of which though are great it's scenes. It's extremely so. festive. It's so festive. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um anyway, so that's uh, I think that that does it for the thin man or unless you have yeah. anything else. Uh... No, I I think I think we've about wrapped up wrapped up this murder mystery until the next one. <laughs> so uh we should probably say i think as i said the start of the gremlins episode yesterday uh we will be back in the new year with yes. a whole full season of giant geek versus Mega. yes Noob. it's taken us longer than it usually does for which we apologize uh but we will have a lot longer <laughs> we will have yes we will have a new season in the new year of regular non-themed content well, I mean, I guess it is a theme. It's just not a, a movie theme. Right. It's more of a format <laughs> we, change. Right. So anyway, uh, we will be, we'll be back sometime in early 2018. And uh, until then, Emily, 
Where else can people find you on the internet? I am on Twitter at EJ Reports. And I'm on Twitter at Hey Hey ESJ. This is Giant Geek versus Mega Noob working on a case of scotch. <laughs> Perfect. This has been Giant Geek versus Mega Noob. For more, visit GVNPodcast.com.